Hello, and welcome to the Clink Tank Cheer... Oh, yeah, it's just me. Well, hey, it's Patrick Donahue, uh, one of your Clink Tank hosts, and I just wanted to say, with everything going on, we're trying to get out as much content as we can. Um, luckily, we recovered some of our lost episodes, so we're bringing those to you, along with some of our latest recorded episodes before, you know, the world broke. And we just want to make sure that everybody is staying as safe and as healthy as possible. So um, we're going to just continue giving you what we can and, and trying to keep everybody in good spirits. And like I said, the most important thing is to stay healthy. So with that, um, I have been working on another podcast with um, Seth Alcorn of um, the he's been on a couple of times before you may remember him from also just our most recent episode uh, du jour ep 31 um, he joined us for that and he joined us I think or one of the very early episodes of episode nine um, and he is from Sketch Nerds, and um, that podcast as well. So uh, we have—he had another podcast called Arrow Chapter and Verse, where he reviews um, the episodes of all of the CW Arrowverse shows. That's, uh, of course, the Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow. And um, I joined him for his second season. So what I'm going to do right now is, as a little bonus episode for our Clink Tank listeners, um, here is the first episode that I appeared on of Arrow Chapter and Verse, um, which I think for them was the first episode of the second season. So... Give a listen. Um, if you like it, check it out. Keep checking it out. It's a great show. A lot of fun. Seth uh, is going to be back on our show as well. And so here you go. This is Arrow Chapter and Verse, Season 2, Ep 1. Bye. All right, hello, and welcome to episode 70. Oh, wait, it's not episode 70. This is season two, episode one of Arrow, chapter, and verse. Why is it season two, episode one, you might ask? Well, because as I've been saying for about the last three episodes, I have a guest host. Welcome, Patrick Murphy Donahue. Hello, I'm here. Patrick is here, and uh, you might notice that the sound on this particular episode, <laughs> and <laughs> maybe the next couple is going to, it's going to be a little bit better than it usually is because Patrick actually has a podcast set up and we're recording over at his place, not just directly into my computer. So hopefully things will sound good in your ear hole. Yes, uh, that's what we hope. So uh, Patrick is uh, from the Clink Tank podcast. Yes. Uh, and is also a, an actor in the D.C. area. Yes. <laughs> 
And uh, Patrick and I are also on another podcast together, although I should, uh, I think, point out at this point that I have been a guest on the Clink, Clink Tank twice, yes, I think. think. Yeah. And one, one, one released and one unreleased episode. <laughs> <laughs> one that, uh, yeah. And that's why we're hoping with this uh, record today and the, all of the um, audio sounds really good and works really well and does what it should so that this doesn't join the lost episodes of the Clink Tank. Yes, we, we hope that because it's going to be going to be weird for me to go back and re-record these episodes <laughs> if that happens. Uh, but yes, uh, Patrick and I are also on another podcast, which may or may not be out by the time uh, this posts, uh, which is called uh, How I Spent My Allowance, and it's uh, Patrick and I and several other people talking about and reviewing uh, D&D books from the 90s. So let me get in my plug right now. Yes, and it's wonderfully nerd deep diving. Oh, yes. Uh, so much nerd deep diving, uh, like this show is not. But anyway, <laughs> uh, today we are talking about Legends of Tomorrow, Season 2, Episode 14, Moonshot. And Patrick, I don't know about you, but when I saw that title, I could only think Moonshot, Woodstock, Watergate, Punk Rock, <laughs> Begin Reagan, Palestine, Terror on the Airline, Ayatollahs in Iran, Russians in Afghanistan, Wheel of Fortune, Sally Ride, Heavy Metal Suicide, Foreign Debts, Homeless Vets, AIDS Crack, Bernie Gets, Hypodermics on the Shore, China's Under Martial Law, Rock and Roller Cola Wars, I Can't Take It Anymore. Wow. I did not think that because I did not know all of those words, and you do. <laughs> I, I am impressed. That's We did not start the fire. Yes. Billy like, Joel. Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire like 88 or 89. And yeah. It, it's, it's really... Talked about this with the, the Steppenwolf song, Monster, too, but it's really sad sometimes. You go back and listen to the songs, and you're like, oh, things haven't um, changed. <laughs> yeah. But that's not what we're here to talk about. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I would listen to that song and say, you know, one day I will know all of these words and never really kind of dove into finding out what they were. But no. So I'm glad you did because it brought us to this moment right it, now with Moonshot. It did. Moonshot. Uh, so we we start off with uh, Rip and Commander Steele in 1965 Manhattan. And... There's a bit where, you know, Rip drops him off and, you know, he's like, you got to, all right, you got to safeguard the spirit of destiny. And Commander Steele's like, yes, I left my wife and child behind to do this, so it better be worth it. And Rip's like, oh, it's totally going to be worth it. Now get out of here. And Commander Steele does. Uh, and he puts on a hat. <laughs> now, why am I mentioning this? Well, it's 1965, and one of the things that... JFK did, uh, I believe unintentionally, was to popularize going hatless for men. So it was a little weird when he put on a hat and everybody else in 1965 all, all had hats. There were a lot of, I mean, there were a ridiculous amount of hats like, in, in the background and of, on men. On men. And every, everybody, and there were, it was just men. I didn't, I didn't see any women in that scene. There were a few, but it, it was it was predominantly men and of like a hundred guys walking by. First of all, where were they that it was that busy during the day and men were out in their hats? I don't know because it seemed like it didn't seem like it was rush hour. It didn't seem like everybody was getting to work. Mm -hmm. uh, it certainly didn't seem like it was the afternoon. Yeah, it was very midday and, or, you know, like, no, yeah, it was like two o'clock. On a Tuesday. Or something like that. But anyway, there, there were many men in hats. Uh, they were all pretty much the same 
style of hat uh, and pretty much the same color of hat as well. There was there was not really anything in the way of variation. It was like, yeah, it was like the costume designer said, you know what? People wore hats. Men wore hats. Let's put hats on everybody. So they did that. And then possibly the, I think maybe my favorite thing about this episode uh, was the near seamless transition of first rip in 1965 walking off camera followed by uh, the legends walking into the shot. Yeah, it was was very well done. Yeah, it was very well done. It was a great, it was a great scene. Uh, And then um, Rip basically does, I know I left him around here somewhere, and then (laughs) shouts Henry, Henry, and accosts a man wearing a hat who is not Henry, which is, I think, why they did the hats in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, Vixen comes up and basically gives the uh the indiana jones speech um about marcus from uh, last crusade where he's like he'll blend in anywhere you know like all that kind of stuff and it was not true about marcus but apparently it is true about hank haywood commander steel he is the human camouflage he's the human camouflage and they can't find him and then they go back to the ship and rip goes off somewhere Rip goes to his library, to be fair, and the rest of the legends gather around and try to brainstorm about where they can find uh, Commander Steel, and pretty much their first guess is correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say that Ray goes through a few alphabet agencies before they go NASA, and then they go, wait, adventure, patriotism, where where else could he be? Why, he would naturally want to become an astronaut. (laughs) So they have Gideon pull up some press clippings, and they see him in the background of one of them, and then Rip comes in, he's like, I've figured out a way to track Commander Steel. And he's holding a big, like, 19th century-looking book. Yeah. And, by the way, just wonderful bit of coincidence that uh, Commander Steel happened to be in the background of that shot that happened to make the front, make the papers. Yeah. 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 It's, it, was, uh, it, it was an Apollo 13 shot. It was Apollo 13, um, 19, April 1970. Yeah. Something. Yeah. I think. Yes, that's right. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, so... Rip's like, I figured out a way to track Commander Hunter. And Sarah's like, we've already got a way of tracking, uh, or not Commander Hunter, Commander Steel. We've already got it. Sorry. We've already got a way of tracking Commander Steel. And Rip goes, uh, and deflates. <laughs> um, I may have mentioned this before, but uh, Patrick and I were talking about it while we're watching a show. The actor who plays Rip Hunter, whose name I still have not bothered to look up. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to do that now while uh, you talk. Okay. They... His head is always cocked down. Like, he's always sort of at a weird 45-degree angle for everything, and then he picks his head up to talk or emote, and then his head goes back down. And it's... It is an odd acting choice. It's one of those things that you would think the director... Well, a director, perhaps a producer, because they usually have different directors for for every episode. Well, not every episode, but you know what I mean. Multiple directors. But you'd think a producer would have come up and said, okay, I get what you're trying to do, but it just is really weird. I, I see you. Yeah. I feel with, I feel this. I get it. This choice. Show me another. But can you just hack <laughs> the cocked head? Or, or, or does your neck hurt? Is, it, what, is, there, <laughs> is there a thing? We, we don't know. But it's just, it's a, it's a very strange uh, choice. And uh, Patrick also pointed out that the whole... Um, Rip Hunter hiding his consciousness in a vault in Switzerland in 
20 whatever is pretty much the same plot line as Doctor Who hiding his personality in a watch. In a watch when he was, uh, he had just, uh, he was with, um, oh, his companion was right after Rose, um, the doctor. Uh, she was a doctor. Oh, yeah, the doctor. I remember uh, her. I like Jones. Her. Uh, Jones. Uh, keep wanting to Doc- say Jenny Jones. It's not Jenny. That's because it's I Jenny. <laughs> It's not Jenny Jones. It's because I'm old and I remember the talk show host, Jenny Jones. Uh, it was Martha Jones. Martha Jones. It was Martha Jones. And yeah. And so, you know, he had hid his personality in a watch and anytime someone opened it, like little bits of uh, his particles would get out and aliens could sense him and that was the whole thing. Right, there was a whole thing that he he went into hiding, um, I guess, much like... Arthur Darville, who pays Rip Hunter. (laughs) Arthur Darville. (laughs) I cannot imagine a more English name for an actor. Who do you have? Well, who's going to play Rip Hunter? Well, we're going to make him British. Okay, what's what's the actor's name? Arthur Darville. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. Right. <laughs> so the legends go to uh, Houston, April 1970. And there's another thing where Rip is like, uh, in, a, in order to uh, talk with him without anybody realizing it, uh, Sarah's like, we're going to infiltrate NASA, which is not to my way of thinking particularly stealthy. No. No. Um, Their team is designed full of people who would absolutely stick out. Yes. Like, you know, uh, Amaya's going to get sent to the calculator room. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Jax is, I don't know what Jax is going to (laughs) do. I I know what they did with Jax, and we are going to talk about that coming up. We're going to talk about that. But uh, first, uh, Ray and Rip sneak into the press corps and uh they mention like there's the mission director whose name i i forget although it is important historically so look it up uh <laughs> and uh commander steel is talking to him and then he walks away and rip walks up and is about to ask a question when commander steel just punches rip and just lays him out and then there's uh speaking of indiana jones like things mm-hmm. uh they're uh Commander Steele looks at the assembled press corps and goes, "Oh, sorry, he had the wrong, he had the wrong credentials." And then everybody, everybody. immediately produces there. I have mine. Don't hit me in the face. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, again to Last Crusade. It's the dirigible scene where he throws a guy out of the airplane and then says, "No ticket." No ticket. And everybody produces <laughs> their ticket. Uh, and then Ray's like, "Oh, well, that was weird." Hey, I'm here. Commander Steele's like. That is dead on. It, it sounds is. just like yeah. just just yeah. like the guy. Um. So, and by the way, they uh, they don't really make any mention of the fact that the last time we saw Commander Steel before 1956, it was 1942, and it's now 28 years later, and he looks incredible. He is. <laughs> he looks exactly the same. Uh, and I, uh, uh, he, he, at the very, at the, he had to be, like, he's got to be in his fifties. He has to be in his fifties and he looks the same as he did at least in his fifties. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause 
he was, he would have been, yeah, even if he was like his, 30. Yeah, because he looked, 30, like, you, that actor did not look like he was in his 20s in the 19, in the World War II right. episode. So, let's say he was 30. Mm-hmm. He would have been 58. And he didn't change at all. Now, Commander Steel is part cyborg. Oh, well, uh, yeah. right. All right. But, so, 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 but maybe but still. Keeping um, the, maybe the, maybe the, 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 the robot parts are keeping the, they're keeping the organic young. parts. Keeping them young. Keeping them young. young. I honestly don't know that Commander Steel is part cyborg in this, uh, in the Legends continuity. I, I've forgotten what he did in the 1942 episode enough to be like, I'm not sure. But yeah. he, he certainly was in regular DC continuity. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Uh, okay. So, the rest of the legends come in. Uh, Amaya hugs Commander Steel. Nate hugs Commander Steel, who, as we remember, is his grandpa. And there's a lot of like, why is Rip in the interrogation room that they handcuffed? The, the handcuffed in the interrogation room at NASA. In case, just in case, they needed one. Yeah. Why would you ask? <laughs> um. I th- I didn't think about that, why they had an interrogation room at NASA. Yeah, they, they had one, though. Yeah. They certainly did. Uh, I guess that's for extreme debriefing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they're like, get Rip out. He's like, all right, get Rip out. He doesn't really want to get Rip out. And then he's uh, Nate says something like, well, I guess you got to go back and like fix that whole Apollo 13 thing. And Commander Steel's like, what do you mean? It's going just fine. And then they're like, unless... Oh, I forgot. <laughs> this is important. We learn that Commander Steel has hidden his portion of the Spear of Destiny on the moon, mm-hmm. which is why Eobard Thawne, you remember from the last Legends episode, Eobard Thawne was posing as a doctor somehow. We never did... Never to get that one answered, how he had the credentials to pose as a NASA doctor. Because he looked like himself, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't look... He hadn't taken anybody's place, but apparently NASA thought he was a doctor, which I, I assume requires like at least a year of deep cover work. Well, I mean, he's a speedster from the future. He is so a speedster from the future. He could have very quickly composed fake credentials. Yes, um, and especially since it was, you know, 19, where did we say? 1970s, 1970, you know, that's just some typewriter work and some good, you know, I, I guess, I guess it was, uh, I, but it's, it's also just like, I mean, even in 1970, you could pick up a phone and call somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, True. Yeah. And, but he could also hear that call speed to the other number. Yeah. And then just be like. I mean, to to put it in somewhat weird fictional context, uh, I'm rereading Salem's Lot right now, and uh, in 1975, a small-town county sheriff calls the FBI and gets a complete rundown on two of the major characters. (laughs) So... Yeah, then... Like two weeks later, right? Um, I didn't think it was that much later, but it it was, but even so, even if it was two weeks later, you'd think that they'd be like, huh, yeah, we have absolutely no records of this guy anywhere. Right. That's a little weird. Or it's like, yeah, because they still had, what, those punch card computers. They still had punch card computers. Where it's like, okay, let me get my girl to run these cards through the machine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so... 
then, of course, we do a quick cut to the Apollo 13 command module where three astronauts are sitting and then one of the, they're like, all right, we're preparing for our trip around the moon. And one of the astronauts goes, not for you, fellas, and sticks them. Yeah, pulls out his epic EpiPen. Yes. And just like sticks, sticks them both. And then pulls out something that's roughly the size of a cell phone, presses it, and his face vibrates until it returns into Eobard Thon's form. Now, Eobard Thon had this in The Flash, season one, and he used it course uh to take on the form of harrison wells this eobardthon is a time remnant whom we last saw in weird speedster jail like apparently again eobardthon couldn't phase out of whatever the flash had him in but we last we we are sorry i should say we first saw him in speedster jail in flashpoint so one might ask and i think reasonably where did he pick up the face-changing device? They certainly needed it for the plot of this episode of Legends. <laughs> so perhaps he reached into his plot bag and removed it <laughs> from thence. I want a plot bag. And we all want a plot bag. You can only, you can only have one if you're, if you're on a show. But it, yeah, it... <laughs> it was super convenient for him to have it. And also, like... How did he smuggle it onto the spaceship? Like those, you can't take anything, right? The weight on those, especially in the early, like the early missions, like mm -hmm. the Apollo missions, the weight on those was so tightly calculated. Like they accounted for every gram of mass on that ship. So for him to take something that, you know, might've weighed as much as quarter of a pound, half a pound. Yeah. Seriously? Well, and... You know, unless he was the exact same weight and size as the person he was imitating. Right. Which, when I, he did the machine do that? We don't know. Yeah. When he phased, yeah. that changed that changed weight deferential as well. Yeah. I mean, it's... So, yeah. So, we, we have to assume that somehow he, Eobardthon Time Remnant, manages to get his hands on one of these things and... I mean, okay, he does have a time machine, so maybe he just went to the future and picked one up, mm -hmm. right? It would have been nice to see that, right? Yeah. I think it would have been nice to just see him, like, perhaps when he was on his way back from the year 3000, detour really quick, pick up one of these things, change his face with it really quick, and then just something to let uh, us know. Give us... Uh, it's really unfair, and this was always... This is always my problem with a uh, number of these shows, where they're like... They cheat the rules. Yeah. And, and and they don't, or they just don't tell us what the rules are so that we can be, you know, aware or not just have to blindly accept every little thing. Well, it's like I've said many times about this particular show, the lengths that they go to keep Firestorm from forming mm -hmm. or from being able to form is, is pretty great. Um, and there's also like a, a number of times on the show and on the flash where it's like, well, they've got speedster powers and they're like, well, they didn't use them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sure. Well, even, yeah, as we were watching, I was, there were a number of times when the, uh, they get into trouble, like the, the, uh, Ray being stranded on the moon. Right. And, um, needing help. Firestorm can survive out in 
space. Yeah. So on his own. On so his own. why they didn't step out instead of just making Jack spend the entire episode keeping the communications of the uh the radio communication, the radio communications down. Yeah, which which was spoiler, a, he did. Yeah, <laughs> which is a job that could have been done, and then he could go do something else. Right. Uh, uh, and by the way, he at least we saw him turn it back on by sticking a screwdriver into a bunch of wires, turning it, <laughs> and withdrawing the screwdriver. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. We're we're not there yet. Where are we? He okay, so we just that, plugged it back in. We plug, he plugged it back in. All right, so we're um, okay. Uh, so then the the team realizes that they're going to have to separate into two parts. They're going to need people in mission control to keep a handle on things, and then there's going to be a team that goes into space. And the team in mission control is Martin Stein, Jax, and Mick Rory. Um, now. I don't know. Well, okay. <laughs> Nate went into space, so Commander Steel would go into space. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Commander Steel's following his, his grandkid. You can't leave Amaya on the ground because, as I said, they're going to put her in the calculator room and no one's going to listen to her. Right. Uh, yeah, the women had to go because Sarah would have wound up in the secretarial pool. Right. And they're okay. So, who are we left with on the ship? Uh, Rip's on the ship. Mm hmm. But we can't see Rip abandoning ship, right? So, however, doesn't make sense that they that they left Mick on the ground. I don't think, right? He's never made. It, it, why didn't they take him? Like they could have left. Like if you're gonna leave, if you're gonna go ahead and say, "All right, young black man," it's <laughs> April of 1970 in Texas at NASA. We're going to introduce you as a British rocket scientist, which they do. Spot on. Uh, he had a very good dialect, by the way. It made me think maybe he may, may actually be British and just uh, doing an American accent. It, it was. It was really. <laughs> but it was really. It was really good. Yeah. Uh, it was better than Victor Garber's, which is surprising to me because Victor Garber is Victor Garber. Yeah. Um, but you know, accents and dialects there. Uh, talent like any other and it's easier for some people than it is for others Mm -hmm. okay um but again not sure why mick rory was on the ground team so uh everybody's british except mick who doesn't talk much commander steel's like i'm not staying here with you clowns i'm gonna go fly in the time ship with my grandson which is as i turned to patrick and said whatever that line was that that was a good part of the show it was a good line yeah yeah and it was fun it was what you want this show to be it didn't you know at this point, it didn't have the the Sturm und Drang of the first season. Yeah, uh, I, and I know, and I. Well, did you do the first season? You, oh, I did like the last just three episodes okay. of the first season. Well, yeah. I was gonna. Well, and this being my first appearance. Yes, my first appearance. First uh, of several. <laughs> uh, what I yeah, my take on Legends of Tomorrow in general. Yeah, was that when it started. They didn't. They didn't know what to do with the show. Yeah, they thought they wanted to be heavy, and like, oh, we're misfits and we're dark and we're it's dark like the Arrow. Yeah, uh, but let's go darker. And then that did not work at all. No. And then they said, well, then we're they're misfits, so let's make this light, light 
the Flash, but lighter. Yeah. And they have just increasingly gone silly. Yeah. And so it was good to see a number of moments in this where it was like, okay, you, this is where you should be going. Like, right. like that, like you said, that line about you think I'm staying here. I'm going into space with my grandson. Yeah. That that's the kind of pathos, I guess is the word. Yeah. Or it's not something. Yeah. Where, yeah. That's the feel that they should right. aim for more often. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and again, that was like, that was one of my favorite, just that bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So, they go into space. Ray says he's going to... They send Ray in his suit to get into the Lunar Command Module. Now, I've said before, and I will say again, I'm not a science guy. <laughs> I'm not a scienceman. But the Lunar Command Module was designed to go into space... Stay in space while keeping the people inside it alive and breathing. Come back from space. Come through the atmosphere and land in the water without filling up with water. So in order to do that, it had to be air and water tight. Yes. Solid so far. Solid. Uh, (laughs) That is what I'm saying. I'm saying that command module was solid. So how is Ray exactly going to get in? Now I'm aware that he was certainly very small uh after the explosion when we thought he was dead, but we haven't seen him under control shrink down to an infinitesimal size. And he would have had to have been right again. Well, Thon mentions that he can shrink down to the size of an atom. Of an atom, which theoretically he can, but we haven't seen that on the show right. before. And and he clearly did not look he, the size of an atom not. as he was approaching. He was visible. He yeah. was, you know, for a while, at least an inch, and then for some reason, like two inches tall. Yeah. Uh, so, like, he couldn't... If something is truly watertight, if water cannot get into it, then no water can get into it, right? So a water molecule is too big to get into this ship. So Ray must have been the size of an atom because that's the only way we can explain it. And I I don't mean ship, I mean lunar command module, excuse me. (laughs) But he gets in and then he follows Thawne and then for whatever reason, he decides he's going to be two inches tall and Thawne is looking right at him and it's like, Ray, you could be smaller than that. You could be small. You could be the size of a flea. Yeah, you could remain the size you were that you that got you in the ship. Right. That and that would be a good thing to do. But and it would have also been compelling. And it would have been you know, or even hearing that once he got into the ship, he couldn't can, he couldn't maintain that size or something. There make a reason that he had to go bigger or yeah, you know. But, but there was like I can only say an atomic size for thirty seconds. Like oh yeah, yeah okay. No, he's just unaccountably even bigger than he was when we saw him flying around the inside of the lunar command module before he went to the landing module with Thawne. Mm-hmm. He's, he's bigger. So Thawne says, as we would expect him to say, what have we here? I mean, some of the lines in this are like, I, I mean, I've, I don't know how many times I've heard someone say that line. Yeah. 
in this sort of situation. Not exactly this sort of situation. Usually people aren't in shrinkened uh, or in shrunkened, I guess. In shrunk? In shrunk. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so they have a fight and Thawn is not using his speed powers because there's no gravity, which Ray calls out. Mm-hmm. And then Thawne's like, but I don't need speed powers to kick your ass. And he pulls a knife from somewhere. He has a knife. And I don't mean like a utility knife. I mean like a fighting knife, which again, he smuggled on the ship. On the ship. Smuggled onto the spaceship. And back to the whole no gravity thing, I found it very interesting that while they said there's no gravity, their fight was not an anti-gravity fight. No. Like when they're fighting, they're in regular motion. And yeah. like uh that the the punches are landing and and, and forcing like forcing them back. There's back, a, there's yeah. a lot of for every equal action there's an equal and opposite reaction stuff happening. But sorry, right. Patrick continue. But no, it's like in an anti-gravity situation that would be like suspension or even like floaty yeah or even the fact of um oh what was it that he did that i was like that's not happening um well he's punching well thon is punching ray and ray is in his suit which has an exoskeleton that can be out in space so i'm imagining these hits are doing nothing yeah and i mean thon has a knife but the knife is like catching on ray's armor plating and sparking off things Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Yes. Uh, but at one point, Thawne punches Ray in the helmet, and Ray turns his head to the side and goes, Ugh, or something like that. And yeah. it's like, I don't understand. There's another thing I don't understand, and that is this. Yes, it is difficult to run around in anti-gravity. You can't do that. But I bet you could vibrate your legs some, which would create a sort of current, I imagine, of wind, which could push you. And I also imagine that it doesn't, take gravity to vibrate your hand through things, which is one of Thon's favorite tricks. Mm-hmm. And could it be? Could it be? Now, I am also not a science guy. Yeah. But perhaps what they were hoping that people would figure is that if Thon went to use his vibration powers, it could shake the, the, the uh, module apart. Maybe that there would be some repercussions that way. And cause he does clearly say later on mm-hmm. spoiler that he is not going to die on this. He doesn't want to die on this ship or, right. or and and so. it's possible, but it, it just like, it didn't, they didn't give us anything. Again, it's a big it's ask. Like, there's, there's a whole bunch of, and it, excuse me for just a second. <laughs> if you heard that, I, I'm sorry. And please excuse me. But it's it's a thing with this show that I've talked about that there's there's a lot of hand waving mm-hmm. around things, which is why you have those weird like expository expostulations in the comics where somebody will say why they did a thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like Thon pulling out the face changer and saying, "Aha! I stole this face changer from 2046 and smuggled it onto the ship, right?" To let us know that that was a thing that happened, yeah. rather than just asking us to figure out how the hell he got it. And that's the, you know, the the necessary skill yeah. that television writers need for shows that have a comic base because you you need that. You, you need, need you know 
we need something. And speaking of which, I mentioned that he had a time machine. Where did he get the time bubble from? <laughs> where where did like if where did Thon time remnant? Did he like run into the future? Because if he could do that, why isn't he just? I mean, I know he's being chased by the zombified corpse of Zoom uh, Zoom <laughs> Hunter Zolomon, but well, maybe. <sighs> Well, you see, he's, I think, what, and I think he did express this, that his mission is to not have to run anymore. So while he has perhaps the ability to, you know, zip in the time force, go forward, pick up what he needs, like a, you know, a quick run to the store. Yeah. <laughs> where you get your time bubble. Yeah. Where you get your time bubble, where you get your face changer. Yeah. yeah. And then pop back. And so that he can accomplish, uh, complete the mission. Yeah. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe, maybe we, <laughs> anyway, they have a fight. Triangle wins. Triangle man. I'm sorry, that's not what I intended to say. <laughs> Quoting, they might be giants. Oh, okay. I was going to say, did you just have a stroke? <laughs> no. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> they have this fight. Ray, Ray wins. Ray wins. He ties up Thawne, who's not vibrating through things because there's not a whole lot of point. Ray goes out on the moon to get the uh, the staff and uh, the sp- uh, part of the Spirit of Destiny. And, you know, it's concealed in a, the hollow of the flag that Neil Armstrong planted. And it's a very small fragment. It's like... It's about the size of a utility knife. Yeah, it really... It's like, do you really need that to form the Spirit of Destiny? I mean, do you really need it? You broke it up into three really big pieces and one tiny, tiny, piece? tiny piece? Well, it's like, you know, if you don't have that piece... Um, Oh, what was that movie? Oh, it was. <laughs> no one will have seen this except maybe you, Hudson Hawk. I did not see Hudson. Oh, Hawk. okay. So in the end, there's uh, they built a time machine. Mm-hmm. Oh no, they built an alchemy machine. An alchemy machine to right. change uh, lead to gold, yes. and uh, it requires this prism be put together. And they have Bruce Willis, who plays Hudson Hawk, do it. Who's a master thief and prestidigitator apparently and he puts together the prism and they start the machine and he goes well what would happen if you didn't have this piece and it's like a tiny little piece so and then the machine just explodes well there you go that's what would happen to the spear of destiny it would explode yes (laughs) and and turn sandra bernhardt into a lead-based statue okay i have another question tangent yeah a little okay. bit no not really it's, it's back it's sort of a tangent but it's a tangent in universe if you uh. will if you can break up the spear of destiny into four pieces why can you not break it up into more pieces or perhaps wood why chipper. can you not wood chipper have you seen fargo <laughs> uh but why can you not then destroy the spear of destiny which seems like a dangerous thing to have hanging around if uh as it can in the legends continuity completely alter reality rather than in comics continuity just make magic based superheroes fall under Hitler's way. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Well maybe destiny cannot be destroyed. Now I've already done this, Patrick. <laughs> I've already done this. But Patrick, are you saying destiny destiny 
No escaping you for me. <laughs> I might as Yeah, I was gonna try to do something with Destiny's Child, but, <laughs> but <laughs> okay. I would you know, that tangent into yes. Yes, okay, yeah, excellent. I'm saying that that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. So while this has been happening for Ray, and Ray has achieved his moment of like he had eh, a cute moment for Ray where he was bounding across the surface of the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the folks up in the Wave Rider have rescued the command module with their tractor beam because it was going too fast and it was going to run into a field of handy meteorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, which just happened to be there. Um, large, big chunks of meteorites, like big, ch- like Star, not quite Star Wars size. But big old chunks of meteorites, which is apparently not really the way that works, I'm told. Also, where did this meteorite field come from? Because they were free and clear all while they were putting grabbing the ship with That's the tractor right. beam. And then all of a sudden, yeah. hey, there's a meteor field. There it was. <laughs> and it was just, they didn't mention it. They, they were like a moon. It's like, oh, we're going to have to be careful and make sure not to knock them off course into that meteor field. They just had the meteor field or the meteorite field because the wave rider had to be damaged. And we'll get to why in a minute, but before we get to why the wave rider takes a few hits. And, uh, let me tell you, um, the wave rider shields in this episode. Crap. Crap. They like the, it, it takes four meteorite hits. Yep. Where is not huge meteors? No, they were, they, they were like, mm- Medium, medium. Yeah, they were medium. They're like there was definitely a few the size of a couch that hit the wave rider. They were maybe bigger than that, like you a know, couch, a, a, a love seat, a love seat, uh, uh, a know. chaise lounge. Yes, perhaps, uh, perhaps a lazy boy, a lazy boy. I, I don't know, recliner. Yeah, another another recliner yeah. that's not a lazy boy. Yeah, sure, a credenza, a credenza. There were definitely a credenza or two. But yeah, that now. The reason that I'm bringing this up, as I told Patrick at the time, because there was there was pre-talk before we did this, mm-hmm. recorded this, um, in the previous Legends episode, the Wave Rider crashed into Earth and skipped across its surface and only lost a Ganectagazoink. Right? Right. Um, it was... It, it, it sustained virtually no damage... It sustains no damage that couldn't be fixed easily, but now we're expected to believe that the meteorites are a clear and present danger. And once again, it's... And not that I'm saying that this doesn't happen in comics as well, but it's like, well, what is the plot needed to do? Well, the plot needs it to be sucky for this, right. this episode. And it needs it to be sucky for this episode so that Ray has to work with Thawne to get off the moon. That is the only reason that the wave rider had to be sucky. Yes. Well, no, actually, there's another reason, but we'll get to that in a bit too. And if these meteors could do that to the wave rider, yeah, what were they going to do to the moon, which they were right next to? to? Yeah, were they were <laughs> going to hit the moon at any point? We don't know. We don't know because the moon's right there. It's got some gravity. It's got some stuff going on. Yeah, that- it could have pulled them in. Um, but yes. Uh, so the other thing is that Ray can't get off the moon by himself because Thawne in the fight damaged his thrusters. Now, Thawne hit Ray in the armor plating about his chest and shoulder, which is not where Ray's thrusters are and not where Ray's thruster controls are. 
but somehow Thawn damaged his thrusters. <laughs> and uh, some of you may be thinking, what about the, the, the time ship on the Wave Rider? The whatever the little... Jump ship. The jump ship on the Wave Rider. Well, that was damaged too. Conveniently. Conveniently. And for whatever reason, the Wave Rider, I guess, was so damaged that it didn't have the power to land on the moon and take off again. But it didn't do anything to the uh, tracking. The, the tra- no, the- because the Wave Rider, like, successfully, I think, blocked all the yeah. meteorites that would have gone to the command module. Uh, I want to point out, astronauts still asleep. <laughs> We'll be checking in with the astronauts from time to time to see what's going on with them. Uh, so then Ray Ray goes back to the command module and he's like, I'm going to have to get this thing and starts looking at thing. And Thon's like, you need to let me out. I'm going to need to help you. I've got a plan. And Ray's like, I've got a plan too. I'm going to hook my dwarf star matter into this and recharge the power cells. And again, dwarf star matter, like, Dwarf star matter. I mean, is is the exoskeleton made of dwarf star? I mean, I guess it's not. Like in the mm-hmm. in the books, it's just like the dial of his belt, or maybe the belt is made right. from dwarf star material. We don't know exactly where that dwarf star material is coming from, but we do know that if you put it in bullets, it's very explosive. And also, it could power a small city. It could power a small city, which Thon is going to bring up in a minute. Uh, and Thon is like, okay, but have you accounted for the gas spectrometer? No, because it's a it's a, it's, it's a measuring device. <laughs> it's used to measure gas and its spectra, right? Um, because why would he have accounted for that? Like, why have you accounted for the power differential? Have you accounted for? There were a number of things that he could have said, but basically yep. he says, Ray, you're a dum-dum, which is true because on Legends, Ray is a dum-dum. Yep, a genius dum-dum. He's a genius dum-dum who didn't think about a thing that it seems like he should have thought about. Well, I, mm, well, at least I will. I did appreciate that. He said, Thon said, I am from the future. A scientist from the future. We learned this in kindergarten. Yeah. So perhaps it's just something that, that it's we some formula that we don't look at. That we don't know. Uh, we don't know what formula it is. So, Ray and Thawne are working together. Thawne promises to be good, and they're working together. Meanwhile, back on the Wave Rider. This moment is only important because uh, Nate and Commander Steele are having a conversation, and Commander Steele's like, I used to blame him. We find out why he's angry at Rip, and he's angry at Rip because Rip separated from his wife and kid, which is, you might remember he volunteered to do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like... He wasn't like, what, Rip? Are you crazy? I can't do that. By the way, um, I'm just going to float this. I know Commander Steel did a lot of, like, Black Ops stuff, right? Couldn't you theoretically have moved the whole family to 1965? Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. I would think you could have. I would think you could have. Like, if you, you know, you had the if you just had enough money to get them set up somewhere else uh, with different names and whatnot, you'd, you'd think that it would be as easy to hide three people as it was one. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's why commander Steele is angry. And uh, Nate's like, yeah, that's right. My dad was pretty distant. Commander Steele's like, you know what I'm going to do as soon as this is over, I'm going back to 1956. 
and Nate's like, that's a great idea. Then my dad will love me. Um, I love how, and, and again, this being uh second season of legends, no matter how many times during the first season, they repeatedly say, well, you can't go back in time and fix things personally just because you want to fix them because they are fixed points that happen and yeah, blah, they, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And yet every single character gets a moment where they're like, well, I know that's a rule, but F that I'm going to do it because this will help me. It's, it's the kind of thing where you wonder in season one, why Rip was so hell bent on killing Vandal Savage rather than say rescuing his family. Yeah. Right. Could he not have just gone and picked them up two days before Vandal Savage? Oh, but I would have been there. Then you'd been like, hey, past Rip, it's me, future Rip. Something really bad is going to happen. You're going to get out of it, but your family's not. So I'm going to take it with me and they're going to be safe. Bye. Bye. <laughs> but no, apparently not. Uh, so Amaya hears this and she gets a look on her face. Mm-hmm. And they go back to the control room to talk about something, possibly how damaged the ship is. Like, I don't remember. And I just watched this episode. <laughs> But that's the thing that happens. And then Amaya takes Nate off and is like, look, you can't have him do that because then he's going to change who you are. And if he changes who you are too much, then you might not have saved the wave rider. You might not. And then without the, you, the wave rider would still be at the bottom of the sea. And then this wouldn't have happened and all this other stuff. And Nate's like, uh, essentially, although not in these words, looks at her and says, yeah, rocking and rolling and whatnot. <laughs> uh, he, he does a cool Danny Zuko to her, essentially. And he's like, no, that's absolutely not what he does, but that's sort of... I wish he had. It would have been great. Have been like, you know, babe, rocking and rolling. But he, he basically says, no, that's okay. It's fine. Everything's going to happen. And Amaya presses him on it. And he goes, yeah, well, let me tell you about your future. You've got a future and it's terrible, but I'm not going to tell you what happens. Except that Ray knows your granddaughter. And Amaya's like, maybe I shouldn't be hearing this. And he's like, well, maybe you should ask him what happens to your village. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm not going to tell you what happens. But I'm going to tell you that everything about it is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then we cut back to, oh my God, we skipped over it. We skipped right over it. What? We skipped over the crash landing on the moon. Hang <sighs> on. We've got to dial back. We've got to dial back. Because as the lunar module is about to crash land on the moon. The legends on the wave rider tell the legends on the ground. We need a distraction. And Jax is like, it's all right. I can cut off the communications because apparently in addition to being a genius mechanic, he now understands computers, right? Just computers, but 1970 computers. I will say that uh, when Jax was introducing himself, when he was British, he was like, yes, uh, my specialty is rocket engines. They call me the rocket man or something like <laughs> yes. that. But they, he had that joke. But now what happens is because somebody with a straight face wrote this, <laughs> I assume. And then somebody with a straight face, someone who gets paid to write, who gets paid to write and someone who gets paid to direct. They said, okay, Victor Garber, here's what you're going to do. You're going to stand up and in a room of very serious men, in ties and white shirts, you're going to stand up, you're going to look them in the face, and you're going to start singing the Banana Boat song. At the top of your lungs. And he did. And it was 
awkward because the banana boat song is in Caribbean dialect. Mm-hmm. And that's how he sang it. And that's how he sang it. And Victor Garber, not Caribbean. <laughs> Not Caribbean at all. No. Of all the songs that they could have chosen for Victor Garber to sing, they chose the Banana Boat song. And when he's, you know, with the guys, the mission control man is like, basically, what in the Sam Scratch is going on? He doesn't say that. Although, Tarnation. Commander Steele did say Tarnation at one point. (laughs) Um, Victor Garber says, oh, it's a British tradition. And I'm like, no, a British tradition would be singing Gilbert and Sullivan. Yes. Like you could have you could have done Major General. He could have done Major General at the top of his lungs. And that would have been awesome. That would have been great. That would have been fine. He could have done, let's see, it's 1970, so it's probably too early. He could have done something from Sweeney Todd. Yeah. I think it's too early for Sweeney Todd at that point. Yeah. But like they wouldn't know. No. That, <laughs> I mean, that could have been the joke also, doing something from the future. Right. You know, he could have done Rocket Man. He could have done Rocket Man. Like they very, sort of set them up for that joke. Yeah. And, and to and he could have done it a la uh, Will Shatner. Yes. And, and you know, yeah, but he did not. He, or anything. He didn't have to sing. He they just needed a distraction. But he sang the Banana Boat song. <laughs> Meanwhile, back <laughs> so, in the future part of the episode, Patrick, forward. I have to ask you, how long have we been recording right now? Oh, we are at fifty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I like to say That's the awesome. longest episode. This is the longest episode, even though I've recorded a couple of like at this point, you no one's heard them but me. But I've recorded oh. a couple of forty-five minute episodes. We're not even to the end of the episode of okay. All right. From here on out, it's just going to be a strict recap and review. We're not going to get on tangents. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll so, do my best. I don't care. <laughs> so <laughs> Thon and Ray are in the ship fixing it, and Thon's basically trying to humanize himself to Ray. And he does, of course, the thing where it's like, you and I, we're not so different, you and I, which I believe Zoom did to the Flash. Uh-huh. So now that's two speedsters on two different shows. We're not so different, you and I. Um, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, in the, again, like I like to point out, the Flash, third season, Third speedster villain. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so, and uh, there's a there's a bunch of stuff where the, the two the two things that I really want to point out are Thon saying it's good to be collaborating with again. You know, Cisco, Caitlin, and I, and I, re- blah blah blah. We used to work together, and I really enjoyed that. And it's like, hey, Buttercup, guess what? You could have had that for as long as you wanted it. You didn't have to go evil. You didn't have to reveal to the Flash who you were. You didn't have to do any of that. But you did. You chose to. If you miss this, it is only your own fault. Yeah. And the next part is where he's trying to explain that he's not such a bad guy. And then Ray goes, you killed the Flash's mom. <laughs> Twice. Twice. And and then what about Rex Tyler? And he's like, well, you're trying to make me out to be a monster. I've seen history's greatest monsters, and I'm not one of them. You're pretty bad. Yeah, you're trying to change the. You're trying to change all of reality, so so consequences don't hit you. Essentially, you you are a time remnant because you made a series of decisions that caused your forebear to kill himself, so that you would not be born. Which is a pretty clear reflection on you as a person, right? I can't think of a better one. It's pretty mon. 
Tris. you must have been pretty terrible for somebody to go, you know what? I'm not going to live, so that guy is not going to live. Uh, and now you're trying to, again, rearrange reality so that that doesn't happen for you. Okay. So, whatever. They have that conversation. They fix the thing. They take off. And Ray is manually controlling the lunar module. Lunar module, the lum, I think they call it. The limb. The limb. The limb. The lunar module. And Sarah is manually directing the wave rider, which has a tractor beam on the command module. And somehow, like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to get a cup and I want you to attach it to a string and I want you to swing it around. Meanwhile, I want your friend to take a, let's say, a remote control small thing that a would drone. fit inside, a, drone, a drone a drone and i want you to get the drone and the cup to line up right do that for me but that's what they do <laughs> and then they let the they let the uh apollo 13 they let that go somehow they do, they don't explain it but they somehow get ray and thon up into the wave rider without bringing the thing on board they don't they don't really say it's like they bring the two of them up they let the um the the spaceship go uh the astronauts miraculously wake up right as the radio comes back on right they have gone through some shit but, but this they don't is, know they, they don't know <laughs> this is the minute that they wake up and by the way nobody ever says where's the third guy that's not even I a didn't question. Even think about There's that. no question about where's the third guy. They're like, it's it, we're here and we're. Well, Jim it, evaporated. Jim uh, <laughs> stabbed us with something that put us both to sleep, and now he's uh, he's not. Well, we don't know what's going on. I did not even think about. There's that. a there's a lot. Again, it's like oh uh, yeah, it's I'm you can't see me, but I'm waving my hand. It doesn't matter. It, even more hand waving. Even more hand waving. Essentially, <laughs> the entire show, really, at this point, is the writers going, "You won't question the plot holes. <laughs> I won't question the plot <laughs> holes. Our writing is rock solid. Your, Your writing, writing is, is rock solid. solid. So, all hail Hypnotoe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We have we have to get to the end of this yeah, one. We're so close because there's others we want to read. We want to watch and talk about. Uh, okay, so they get back onto the wave rider um, with uh, Thon in, in with, tow. With Thon in tow, they put Thon in the brig, and Thon, of course, is only in the brig at his sufferance because he is a speedster who can vibrate through things. Apparently, not a vault, right? As we mm. talked about in an earlier episode, where <laughs> where Malcolm and Damien trapped him yes. inside a vault. Uh, anyway. Now, they're trying to get back to Earth, and they're like, we don't have enough power. And Martin Stein's like, you don't have enough power. Somehow he knows. And they're turning off systems so that they can serve, they can conserve power for the heat shields. And use the gra- Earth's gravitational pull. To, right. Uh, gravitational inertia, I think, is how Sarah puts it. 
to to get them in through the atmosphere. Yeah, to get them in through the atmosphere. But they have to enter an an exact angle, and they don't know what that angle is. And there's a lot of fuss about this. And then, like Martin's like, I don't know, I don't have a supercomputer, and Ray's and uh, Ray's like, but we do because I guess he's going to have Thawne run through the equations at light speed or something mm-hmm. and figure it out. Well, he's from the future, from the and future. this would be something else he learned in kindergarten. He did. He, they learned <laughs> astronavigation in grade school. Um, and so, Thawne says it's 38 degrees. Well, they are having this panic while a bunch of people are in a room in Houston trying to get their spaceship through the Earth's atmosphere and home. What? Look, all Martin had to do is go, what's the angle they're coming at in again? They're coming in at again? And somebody would have said, oh, 38 degrees. Well, no, it would be different for the wave rider and from the, uh, it wouldn't be the same. Are we sure? I would think, again, not a scientist, but uh, I would think that because different size and mass, the wave rider would have to enter at a different angle than the. Except uh, if that's true, then Thawne wouldn't have known it off the top of his head that he wouldn't have been able to tell them. Right? Because he hasn't made calculations for the wave rider. He just get, Ray just goes in to ask him, and Thon is like 38 degrees. But that, that is the angle at which you come back into the atmosphere. Like uh, it's a flat fact uh, for everybody. I don't know. Again, science? I realize <laughs> okay. that, but that thinking- might be true. But in this world, in this world where Thon can say it as a fact off the top of his head, wouldn't that be because he had the right calculations for the what, wave rider for the wave rider? Where did, when did he do that? Where did, where did he get him? How does he know the wave rider's mass? Did he ask Rip Hunter for that just in case? What's the wave rider's mass? Uh, like science, science, <laughs> science. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah. we're going that everything has to enter Every, at 38, 38 degrees, degrees. <laughs> which somebody would have known. And, or, you know, Martin Stein could have been like, oh, hey, but, oh, well, I guess he needed a supercomputer. But, oh, it's just like. But, no, the lunar module. Yeah. Maybe it had power. So, the difference being that. So, I don't know. So that, okay. But I'm not going to die it's, on this it's, hill. It's, it's, like, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a 59 weird. 59 minutes. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's a weird, we are now much longer than the actual episode itself. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> I hope you enjoy this. A few more episodes of this, and I'm going to be at my upload limit for March in no time. Uh, Okay. So, they hit the atmosphere. Like, they arrange for it to be about 38 degrees, but then the ship's power goes completely off, and Sarah has no steering, so they're not going at 38 degrees. But, of course, they have a little time before they burn up. So, they're like, what do we need to do? Well, we need to open one of the cargo bay doors, and that is going to fix it. Uh, and they're like, but whoever does this is going to die. And Rip's like feeling useless because Sarah's, you know, pretty much Sarah's, the team leader. Yeah, team leader. That's, that's been a subplot going through this whole thing. Is it Rip? Keeps, where does Rip fit in? Where now? does Rip fit in? He's being all emo he's and teenager. He is. <laughs> he's, like, he's, he's slumping and his head's cocked even more. Yeah. Maybe he's cockney. But, 
<laughs> I, I don't feel proud of that joke, but I do. But I yes, do. But yes. But yeah, I know he's being all. Yeah, you guys don't need me no more. Yeah. I'm a, I'm useless. So I'm gonna go open. It. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna go open it, and then Sarah's like, "No, I'm the captain. I'm gonna go open it." And then somebody goes, "Where's Commander Steel?" <laughs> and he's gone to open it, and Nate's like, "No." <laughs> Uh, and there's a couple of reasons that Nate's going, no, one of them is that apparently Commander Steel has rigged an essay contest so his son, Hank, can come to NASA and watch. Now, that wasn't in the Apollo 13 movie. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that there was no actual essay contest for a kid to walk into a classified space. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. unescorted. Unescorted. He just wanders in. Um, but it's okay. He's white. He's so nobody's going to question. No, he's, he's young white boy <laughs> i should stop doing that but i'm not going to um, um and so this is commander Steele's one chance to see his kid after 14 years mm-hmm. and his kids oh he, uh, yeah he his he never knew his kid right it's one chance to see his kid period right uh and nate goes down and is like you can't you can't do this it's gonna suck you right out you're gonna die you gotta go back and commander Steele's like i'm just a grunt it's okay and nate's like i have powers <laughs> which everybody seems to forget even the writers i have powers yeah like the yeah Yeah. uh he could have he could have potentially survived yes he would have been uh, we don't know because we don't know what happens when he steals up like i assume it is a colossus thing where he just becomes organic metal Mm -hmm. or living metal or what have you and believe me it's not going to do you know it's not going to do him any favors to fall from that height in the atmosphere but my thinking was that i'm sorry that he wouldn't even have fallen. He oh, would have right. been able to stay in. Right. He would have like clamped into some of the wave riders hull and they would have had to like fix some like finger sized divots. Yeah. Or dance. But he could have at least stayed in long enough for them to get into the atmosphere and close the, 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 do- the cargo door. Cause they only needed it open. They didn't need it open the whole time. They right. only needed it open to do this course correction. But, uh, commander steel gets, uh, sucked out of the wave rider. And we knew this was going to happen. The minute he's like, yeah, when I'm done, I'm going to go back. I'm going to yeah. fix things between me and my kids. Right. Seth turns to me. It's like, oh yeah, he's going to die this it's episode, like, right? We're going to. I'm going to. I'm going to live on a farm. Like the only, the only, uh, the only. Oh, there are there are three members of the JSA left. There's uh, Courtney slash Star Girl, who's being Merlin and eating her heart out over Arthur. Which oh, that episode. There's. Uh, and there's Obsidian, who's alive in the 80s, and then there's Amaya, who's out of the time stream. Um, everybody else, I believe, uh, is dead. dead. And then, you know, I'm, am I forgetting anybody? I don't, I don't remember. And you know what? I don't care. <laughs> um, so, some the Wave Rider gets back before Apollo 13 does, and Nate has somehow inserted himself into... Now, there's enough time for the wave rider to get back and for Nate to change his, you know, change into a, a white shirt and a tie and to put a fake ID on and to go wandering around the control room, even though no one has seen him before. Right. Between the time that the wave rider gets back to Houston and when Apollo 13 lands, but it's not so much time that his father isn't still standing there waiting. 
So Nate has a talk with his dad about how important it is. He does. It's not exactly like this, but it's basically like Nate, Nate is literally like, yeah, my dad was cold to me too. It's important that you not be. You remember that you and your son <laughs> pass this on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and up in the wave rider, like zoom, not zoom. Sorry. I keep, because it, the reverse flash was professor zoom. They right. split them up into two villains for the two seasons, first two seasons of flash. Um, a thon comes out and he, you know, uh, vibrates his way out of the brig, which just sounds dirty. And the minute he does that, Ray opens the door and is, has got a speedster weapon. And thon's like, funny thing about those anti-speedster weapons. I invented them. Uh, uh, uh. Is that why they don't work too well? I mean, did you do that yeah. <laughs> on purpose? <laughs> and because I knew one day you'd point them at me. And Ray's like, I know you're a time remnant and you're running for, from something. And that means you're not going to have time to search this ship for the spear. And it's like, is he not? See, I guess they were on land. I guess they'd landed at this point. Uh, it was not clear to me uh, because they did not say that they had landed. So it, it, no, it the, seemed like they were in they the were air. They were still in the air. It seemed like they yeah, were. because they had the, the shot right before that scene. They showed Sky. Right. Yeah. But, but, uh, Thawne's little... And Hunter Zolomon warning watch went off mm-hmm. while they were in the air, which is weird because I, can't, I, we haven't seen the flash run on air yet. And I assume Hunter Zolomon can't do it, but uh, who knows? Um, and then Thon like grits his teeth, agrees that he moving at the speed of light does not have the time to search the ship because zombified Hunter Zolomon is going to be there to get him mm-hmm. and then runs off the ship. So I assume they can't be in the air because then he'd have had nowhere to run to and nowhere, nowhere to hide. hide. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm getting it. See, we're getting in the group. Yeah, we're, 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 we're right there. We're right there. Yeah. We're right there. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and then uh, I think the episode pretty much ends. Right oh, no. No, 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 no. Oh, no. What am I forgetting? We, for the, uh, the end, end cap. Oh. The, the over the credits. Oh, We go right. Back, Back to Deo. To the Banana Boat song. We do. Victor Garber because singing the Banana Boat it song. It wasn't just enough racism. No. <laughs> See, it's funny in Beetlejuice because they're clearly possessed, and that's Harry Belafonte you can yes. hear singing that they're song. They're lip syncing. Yes. Mm. Oh, yeah, there is one more thing. Nate and Amaya have a makeup scene, kind of, and then... Like she looks at her future, she directs Gideon to tell oh, her what's right. going on. Yes, that and but that's it, and I think that's it. So that's that's the episode. Uh, we've been recording for probably an hour five. Oh, wait, 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 very quickly. And yeah. um, the other uh, Rip and Sarah talk. Oh, Rip and, and Sarah Rip, talk, and yeah. she says, "Oh, you're." He's like, ah, "There's no place for me here. What do I do now?" And she's like, "Oh, well, you're an outcast. You're misfit. a misfit. You seem like a legend." So and then they, she tells him there's a place. And then they clink. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we might have gotten some of that out of order, but as you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's we, all there. This, this is still a free-form review of the Arrowverse. So uh, I think we're going to call it for this episode. <laughs> At a mere hour eight. <laughs> hour eight. So I, I as always, um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you're having a good day. I know I did and am. There we go. And uh, actually, definitely, Patrick and I will see you next time. Talk to you soon.
Bye.